Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. A fun week here on the podcast, and the NFL regular season is over. Not a New York team made the playoffs, but we are going to get ready for Super Wild Card Weekend. I'm going to be joined today by the host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast, Joe Dalwies. We're going to recap all the craziest from Week 18. We're going to get ready for the six playoff games over the weekend. Going into Monday, the first of our Monday playoff game, we're going to talk about all that with Joe in just a bit. We're also going to do our wild card weekend picks for all six games. We'll be joined by Dan Martini, the noted Colts fan. So, of course, also get his take on what happened to his Colts against Jacksonville. And that was by the disaster of all disasters weekend outside of New York. But we'll get to that in a bit. Make sure you're locking in to the end of the show for six two-minute drill, where I'm going to give you my take on the national championship, George Alabama. Give you all I have to say about that at the end of the show. But we'll get started with their opening tip. And I did not think we're going to have to do this, but the Giants become such a dumpster fire. We're going to open the show with them again. I'm going to be joined by prolific ranting Giant fan Justin Diaz to talk about all the crazy surrounding Big Blue right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we go. All right, we are back here recording on Black Monday on the NFL season. There has been one job change for the Yard Giants. Another one, we don't quite know, but joining me today to talk about it all is a very disgruntled Giant fan. You heard him rant a few times, including his appearance in the clip show of the year-end holiday special, Justin Diaz here in video form. Justin, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Uh, it's just it's unbelievable how many I've been on this. How many times do you think I've been on? Five or six, maybe close to 10, actually. Yeah. And over the span of five or six years and every single time, it's still horrible news around the Giants. <laughs> it just doesn't change. Oh, absolutely. And just to catch the audience up where we are, we're recording on Monday night on January 10th. The National Championship game is on the background. And just to time check this for the audience here, we are in the second quarter of the game. I believe Alabama is up nine to three. So, oh, nine to six. Excuse me. George gets a field goal. But here is what we know about the New York Giants situation as of right now. Dave Gettleman has retired quote-unquote, and he's no longer the general manager right. of the Giants, which will make the Giant fans happy. But as of right now, Joe Judge, we think, is still the Giant head coach. Last we heard, we heard this morning from CBS Sports' Josina Anderson that sounds like he's going to stay. Then we heard, oh, he's meeting with the Maras and, and Mara and Tish. The meeting got pushed back. He met with his players. The players are in the media. It's just a mess today. It's a disgrace. I mean, calling it... So... I've heard people say he retired. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how you frame it. He's no longer employed. It's a disgrace to the name of the organization. And basically it says the Maras are saying you could be historically inept, absolutely leave zero 
positive things for the organization going forward. And, but if you're friends with the owner, we'll make sure we don't hurt your feelings on the way out the door. He was taking pictures on the field with his freaking family yesterday. That's, that's such a slap in the face to the fans. The guy finished with a 29% winning percentage. He it's, it's, he's the worst general manager in team history. And they didn't, they waited until the end of the season to announce a BS retirement because they were concerned about his feelings. Like you can't make this stuff up. Other organizations in sports don't do this, these things. Other organizations are inept. There's certainly other bad organizations out there. I've never heard of one saying, we're going to wait until the end of the season because we don't want to hurt the guy's feelings. We want to let him retire. And this has been known for weeks. They're going to, Gettleman's gone, but he's going to retire. Like, you know, it's like, it's it's just so it's hard to even put into words how upsetting it is because it's it's that much the, the action itself letting Gettleman retire as opposed to firing him tangibly it doesn't make that much of a difference because a new GM will be in place but it's the mentality of you're running a business you're running a sports team but you're running it like a boys club like where you have all your these old guys that are like well we got to we got to stick out for one for one another like no you don't Gettleman's a joke I don't I. Oh man, you know, I feel about Gettleman. <laughs> I have so many rants about him uh, ever since the Saquon pick. It's it's so upsetting. I'm glad he's gone, but it bothers me a lot that he's not held accountable. Like if it'd be like when Wells Fargo had the whole banking scandal where they're opening fraudulent accounts and their CEO who was like from the top down was, was directing people to do these things. If the board said, we'll just frame it as retirement. It's okay. It doesn't matter. He's, he's going to be gone anyway. Right. I don't know. How would the public perceive that? Well, so that, that's how I feel about this guy letting Gettleman retire. It's so, uh, I, I wanted to curse, but I, I bit my tongue for the sake of your, of keep this PG. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to go through this here the last 40 hours in particular, because the Giants know have been bad for a long time, but the last 48 hours sort of have this sort of, you know, curb your enthusiasm, you know, like vibe to it, where it's just, you know, like, <laughs> What can possibly, like, how can they embarrass themselves next? It sort of feels like what's going on here with the Giants. It's unbelievable. It's it's changed so fast. So I will say, I've been, not to pat myself on the back, I'm wrong many times when it comes to sports. I have been saying for years they're a hopeless team. And they every it was so long where every offseason, their roster was so bad and it was so obvious they were going to suck. But you, if you said that to most Giants fans, say no, we have X, Y, and Z. It, it, they were just delusional, and it would. But you knew they were going to be go four and twelve to six and ten, something in that range. People talked themselves into a successful season. It took people long, a long time to realize the Giants had become one of the inept, hopeless franchises because they've had relatively recent success. When you compare them to the Lions, the Jets, the Browns, the Jaguars, the Giants are in that class. The Browns actually stepped out of it to somewhat of a, at least they have a chance of being average. But you know, every single year, you know, no matter what, the Jaguars are going to be terrible. No offense, Mike. The Jets are going to be terrible. They, they've been terrible. The Lions are going to be the Lions are going to be terrible, and the Giants are going to be terrible. And now that it's become so comically bad, everybody sees it except one person. And that's John Mara. I think Joe Judge even knows it. I mean, he he probably is like he probably I don't know if he's married. I don't. Yeah, I'm assuming he is. Uh, he probably goes to his wife and always like, I mean, I can't believe that this guy believes it. I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> it really is a clown show out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's funny you bring up the outside perception of the Giants because I remember prior to the season, this is something I also had in the holiday clip show I kept on the soundboard. I had Shil Kapati of the Athletic on. I asked to talk about the Giants preseason, and this is back when they were talking about, oh, we're going to win the division this year. Like, the division's bad. We have all these moves, and I asked him about the Giants. Why don't you listen back to what he had to say, and so this ended up being pretty prophetic for the Giants. Yeah, I'm not bullish on the Giants this year. You know, I don't, I don't see them making any type of major leap. You know, they, they were sort of the winners of the offseason in a way with Kenny Galladay, uh, Adoree Jackson bringing back Leonard Williams. But if you look at it, uh, you know, their offense, they, they look like they have on paper a bottom five offensive line. They very well could have a bottom five play caller offensive coordinator in Jason Garrett. And Daniel Jones has certainly flashed at times, but he has more fumbles than any other player in the NFL since entering the league. And so you add all those things up, and I think that's a lot to overcome for them to become sort of, a, you know, even a top 10, top 15 type offense. I just don't see that happening. And defensively, you know, I thought Patrick Graham certainly did a good job last year maximizing the talent at his disposal. I just don't think they have a lot of talent. You know, certainly Leonard Williams, is a very good player. They don't have a lot of edge rush. Uh, we'll see if the Dory Jackson can stay healthy. And so uh, I think they will be a fine defense. You know, I would say maybe mediocre to slightly above average, but you add all those things up. And uh, I, I think they're uh, probably going to be a below 500 team. If I had a hat right now, I'd just tip it to Shield right now because he nailed the entire season in about a minute and 15 seconds. He really did. He hit the nail on the head. Um, they... I mean, Galladay turned out to be a complete disaster. It's that nothing worked. I mean, it, I don't, I, I, nobody's really defending the Giants at any, at this point. But if anyone says, well, they, Daniel Jones got hurt, your starting quarterback getting hurt is certainly going to make you worse. Not, I'm not saying anything that that's not rocket science. That's not an excuse to then become a historically inept offense. Like it's, they had negative 10 passing yards. One game. <laughs> that's, that's almost, that sounds like a typo, but it, it's true. They had, they, I think they threw for 27, but then when you account for sacks, there's negative 10. That's backup quarterbacks are supposed to be able to come in and run a somewhat competent offense. You don't, you know, there's going to be a drop off, but to not be like, I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get to the QB sneaks. At some point. <laughs> oh, we will. I mean, <laughs> To, to not even put up some semblance of a, a competent offense, that's just that points directly to awful coaching. Look at what look Sean Payton was dealing James Winston's not that good to begin with, but he gets hurt. They're dealing with Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon, a gadget quarterback who's not really a quarterback and a, 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 a really pretty bad player. That's a, a he's a backup journeyman, and they still managed to win what nine games. Tyler Huntley with the Ravens, they stayed in every game. Uh, it's coaching again, like if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt for the season, the Packers are not winning the Super Bowl. But I bet you they, they would find a way to run a competent offense that good coaching overcomes injuries and to an extent. The Giants, they were bad with Jones when he got hurt. They, they looked like a high, I don't even they looked like a bad high school offense, not even <laughs> like a good one. It was absolutely disgraceful. It just. But you're that. I'm sorry, I already forgot his name. But the, the clip you just played, he, he yeah, really she, hit the nail on the yeah. head with this season. Yeah, Shilkapati of the Athletic, and I want to give him credit for that once again. And I will also say, I forgot my medium soda. I was making plans to go buy one before the podcast. I forgot to grab that. I wanted to have it on hand. I did not bring that with me. I also did not mention. Did I have my all my rant clips still from Joe Judge last week? That was the game where he had negative ten passing yards against the Bears and. 
It's just, it's just you're right. It's just frustrating because you watch that offense and the loss of the quarterback stinks, but they should not be going from mediocre offense to an offense that could barely outscore the Somers uh, football team in high school here. That's 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 yeah, not happening. Could Westchester through that? Yeah, it, it was. It's just so it. I I just. It's hard to even come up with a realistic, reasonable defense of Joe Judge and say this is why we want to bring him back. I mean, historically bad offense, just a mediocre defense, horrible game management. Uh, lack. He doesn't. I don't think he understands modern football. I really don't. Like he, the the QB sneak two plays in a row on the four yard line where he basically ran a. Might as well have kneeled it. Just to think that's okay in modern football that you play for the punt. You're not. You don't. You don't deserve to coach the NFL in, in today's league anymore. You just you lo- you lose that that right at that point. Like you, you don't understand football today's modern football. You'd be like just compare that to the Patrick Mahomes led Chiefs, where or. Justin Herbert on the Chargers or any any modern football team where you know at any like any explosive offense, you know they can they can take the lid off, the top off the defense and score an 80 yard touchdown. The Giants, they're not even trying on second or third down. It's not, it's like they're not even playing the same sport. We you should as an owner, you should be striving. This is gonna sound corny, you should be striving for greatness. Like the Rams, I've probably mentioned the Rams in my previous appearances. They don't settle. They had it. They made the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Jared Goff's obviously not good, but a lot of imagine if the Giants did, if they made a Super Bowl with a quarterback, that guy's going to be the quarterback for the next 20 years. We actually saw that with Eli, but the Rams knew it was, it was a mirage. They could improve. They always teams like that are always looking for a new edge, a, a way to improve. The Giants are looking for every excuse in the book to keep things status quo. Even if status quo is four and 13, and your coach is calling for QB sneaks on second, third, and long. For some reason, that that's more comfortable than change. It's it's really it's it's a until they they embrace change, they're never most well, obviously they're never going to change. They're never going to improve. We're just going to see this year in and year out. And it, at this time next year, it, with Joe Judge, it's 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 literally a matter of if when he's going to get fired, not if. Is he going to get fired today, tomorrow? Middle of the season, next off season, John Mara's just—he's just picking the time in the timeline. It's—it's it's pathetic. It's—they're—they're they're a complete disgrace. John Mara's an embarrassment of an owner. He's reached James Dolan territory. I know that sounds harsh, considering they've won two Super Bowls. He's there. That—that's in the past. Yeah, he's yeah. there. Yeah, he's there. I mean, they've lost a hundred games the last decade. I mean, you're there in the NFL. Yeah, that—that's mm-hmm. so difficult to do in the NFL. I mean. Yeah. There's most teams have had their run. Even if you think of the bad teams from 10 years ago, like it's, it's hard to even remember because it shifts so often. Like there's the, the few consistent franchises, like the Patriots, Steelers, Ravens, Packers, but even those guys, there's all mostly because they had a great quarterback. But other than that, every team has gone through cycles over 10 years. Most teams have gone through probably two or three cycles. The giants have, their cycles have been awful, bad, mediocre awful like it's their yeah. best case was like pretty damn bad yeah now it's just become a complete clown show yeah let's go through the clown show a little bit i want to start go through the last 48 hours or so because this whole thing has taken on a whole life its own the last bit i mean it starts out i mean yesterday they play the game just watching it's meaningless and i knew things were gonna get bad when i saw a couple of the beat reporters post pictures of the parking lot where there's no one there because inside the stadium you got about roughly fifteen thousand fans in the building and for that game and to me, that should be, if I'm John Mara, I walk in my building, I see 
75,000 empty seats, I should say, hmm, something's not right here. Like, why don't my fans care? Right. I mean, it's surprising. I mean, they should have probably just offered a free large Pepsi for this game. And maybe <laughs> that would have really drawn the fans in. It's, why would you go? I, I'm amazed anyone went. I, honestly, as it, like any Giant fans listening, stop going. Stop watching. I w- If Joe Judge returns, I am not going to watch a single game next year. I, I, I mean, I'll be stubborn because I'm saying it. If, if, even if they miraculously are good, which I, I'm so confident that they won't be. I, I can say with a certainty, I will not watch them next year. Like, I, I refuse. It's I'm not not trying to be like a, a Karen, like Central Park Karen. No, I'm not. You're not getting my money, but that's really the case. I, it's not even to prove a point. It's it's boring. Like you go, best case, they win. A, they get lucky and win. It's not entertaining. They they're horrible. And it's like one of the joys in sports that makes sports so entertaining is. You don't know what's going to happen, generally speaking. It's fun. It's exciting. Even if you're a fan of a good team, like if you were, let's say the Packers went and played middle, went and played a middle school league for a season, that wouldn't be exciting because you know they'd win 70 to nothing at, by for the first quarter. You'd stop watching. So the Giants are the flip of that. You know they're going to be absolutely freaking terrible every year. What's the point? It, there's no joy because there's no variability in what they're going to do. So it's, I, I refuse. I, I, there's just, it's, it is kind of out of principle, not that it's going to change anything because John Mara is just a stubborn prick. I, I really believe it, it's, it's arrogance and stubbornness. We're going to do it my way, the Giants way. We don't fire three coaches in a row after two years. Okay, you prick. So you're going to fire two coaches after two years. And then this coach is going to be up to three years. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Continuity. Now we're going to have it. Like he's, it's, it's, it's so illogical that it's and the fact that it's they're, they're, I, I would love to be a fly a fly on the wall at these meetings with Joe Judge with him pleading his case. Hi, Joe. So you went four and thirteen. We passed for negative ten yards in week seventeen, and you ran two quarterback sneaks that looked like something a middle school team would do. What are you going to do to stay? Uh sprints. All right, you're you're on. You, you got a third year. <laughs> yeah. It's a freaking joke. Yeah. Such a joke. Yeah. We haven't gotten into the best of his stuff yet. I mean, let's go to right now. The next thing on the timeline here is the reporters get in the stadium, and then we see that Dave Gelman is down on the sideline with his family hanging out for the game. He's basically getting the victory lap. And I want to point out here a couple of things here. In his time as the Giant General Manager, he went 19 and 46. This roster is a much less talent than when he got here on it. He had less than $2 million in cap room for next season. They couldn't feel a forty a full forty six man roster yesterday. They didn't have money to pay everyone like under the cap. Yeah, he's getting you know the dog and pony show while Jerry Reese goes nine one eighty five wins two Super Bowls and he's firing season. At that point, I'm just sitting there. I'm watching this thing, reading all the tweets. I'm really sitting there. I'm going. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> oh man, I, I genuinely laughing as hard. It's so funny. When you say all these things out loud, it's just, it's laughable. Like, you can't defend any of it, not a single piece of it. Gettleman, it's not an exaggeration to say he did as bad of a job as possible, given the circumstances. He, they, the Giants were very bad when he got there. there there's no denying that. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt and tell, and you know how people theorize that he was basically forced to keep Eli and build around Eli? I don't think that's a fair assumption, Like, but he took the job. He's a grown man. 
he like he, he no one held a gun to his head and said you must keep this take this job and keep Eli but let's just assume that they forced him to keep Eli he still did as bad of a job as possible even if you give him that assumption starting with the Saquon pick and then everything went downhill from there basically every single signing he made was awful I mean I could rattle off the list we we it's it's well established that Gettleman's the worst GM in team history one of the worst GMs in sports history to get a four-year tenure. But it's such a slap in the face. I said this before to every fan, the media, even the players. I mean, I, I'm sure that they I'm sure they don't feel that strongly about Gettleman. Some of them probably like him because he brought them on. But the guy did nothing positive in his tenure here. And it's that mentality of, well, he's our friend. And, and I, you know what? I, I have to say this is going to sound harsh it doesn't matter that he had cancer. Like, it matters. Let me rephrase. I feel horrible for him. I'm happy he's healthy. I'm happy for him and his family. That's irrelevant to his job performance. If you get if you get sick, that's not a carte blanche. You never have to have, be accountable for your job. He's healthy. And even if you, all right, if he wasn't healthy, let him retire. He's healthy. And even if he wasn't, I'm sorry, that's horrible. But you, when everyone, we all have jobs. If you're bad at your job, you don't have to publicly fire him and shame him. You don't have to give him a freaking retirement party, letting him take pictures on the field with his family because he was sick two years ago. I mean, it, it's it's outrageous. Like it's, I'm probably sounding like cold hearted, but I, I would like just to fully explain. Those two things are separate. You can have sympathy for him because he was sick. That's that, that's sad, but that doesn't mean you give him four years to do the worst job in team history. And then never hold him accountable because he was sick once. I'm sorry. I, someone needs to say it because like I've seen on Twitter, he's a Giants man. He had cancer. That's not relevant to what we're saying. He sucked at his job. And you know what? He actually comes across as a smug prick too. So I, I don't I, I don't see why we as fans in the media, because he's friends with the owner, have to sit there and watch him take put his hand around his wife and his kids and take pictures. He f off, go to Cape Cod, and and honestly, just never show your face in MetLife again. You're a disgrace, gentlemen. Yeah, I want to. Uh, but other than that, we could be friends. I want to. <laughs> I want to point this out though, because my my issue is more with the fact that like he got he did the worst job possible of like a G general manager in New York sports. This side of John Idzik, and he gets like the you know the dog and pony show. He gets to have all his moments, like the victory lap, basically for his four years on the job. Whereas Jerry Reese wins two Super Bowls. It's been in the organization for 23 years when he gets fired in the middle of the season because he put in a plan that the owner approved to bench Eli Manning and got the heat for and got fired in season despite winning two Super Bowls, having a winning record as the general manager. That bothers me a lot. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm actually happy you brought that up. It, it points to John Mara being a spineless coward because he wanted to scapegoat Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo because the fans got upset that they benched Eli. I got it. That fans were upset about that. Maybe it wasn't the right way to do it. Geno Smith, you knew what he was. He's a solid. I actually think Geno's a solid backup, but that's a different story. Mara's a spineless coward. It, it, that, that's It's pro been proven time and time again. Reese had a very good run. Uh, anyone that tries to discredit his role in the first Super Bowl is just not being fair. Like, yeah, Ernie, of course, he helped put the team together. Reese had an unbelievable draft that year. I think Ahmad Bradshaw in the seventh round, Kevin Boss in like the fourth or fifth. Reese was a great GM for a while. Things started going south. He, his time probably was up. It, yes. was, very, it was fair to, to get rid of him. 
They didn't have, if you're going to keep the historically inept GM and let him retire, I agree that the that against firing Reese midseason looks horrible. The only other thing is I, I, I'm not making light of Gettleman being sick, but the only other difference is Gettleman was sick and Jerry Reese wasn't. But again, Marrow didn't want to take the, face the heat for Eli being benched, so he just put the the onus on on Reese and McAdoo. Also, Coughlin's retirement was bullshit too. Uh, I, I think Coughlin. I don't know Coughlin. Obviously, he was. If you remember, he refused to shake John Marrow's yeah. hand when he at his retirement ceremony. He probably was pissed because he thought John Marrow's being cow- a coward. He probably would have respected Marrow more if Marrow said, "You know what, Tom, you're done. You're fired." We'll still give a press conference because you're a historically great coach for us, but don't lie and call it retirement. That's so spineless. Like no one does that. If you're yeah. done, if your time is a and your role is done, you're done. Nobody. It's not disrespectful to fire someone. In in professional sports, it sucks sometimes. Like Brian Brian Flores didn't get a fair shake, and and God, there, we go on that a lot. But people get fired. It happens. It's as long as you don't like disparage the person on the way out the door. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna point. I'm gonna put a pin in that one. We'll go back to Gelman again a little bit later, but I want to go now to the okay. infamous sneak call here, where we watch the game. I mean, I'll admit I was not watching this game at all. I was put the red zone. I said, okay, I don't. Oh, neither was I. As I put red zone, I, said, I don't even know what's going on in this game. And all of a sudden, red zone comes on. They show this horrendous sequence there, where late in the first half, they are down inside their own five yard line. It's third and nine, and Joe Judge has the Giants lineup in victory formation is running a sneak to set up. Give his team more room for a punt. And I remember the red zone, like Scott Hansen, the host, was just openly mocking the Giants. Like Twitter was mocking the Giants. Everywhere I watched the highlights, they basically said, this is like the most disgraceful thing I've ever seen in the league. And to me, like when I see that, if I was John Mara, like he would not finish the game. He would have been fired on the spot. Like the fact that he actually had a job the rest of the game is mind boggling to me. I totally agree. It's, it's an embarrassment to the sport. I mean, I don't. I, I saw Dan Orlovsky today said there were like three thousand third and eight plays this year, something like that. Obviously, a very high number. I'm sure you can guess how many plays of those were uh, a QB sneak. <laughs> one. I mean, there might have been one, one of those in NFL history, and in that scenario, third and eight. It's and it, it, when you compare that to his introductory press conference where he said we're going to be relentless and treat he it was such an absurd quote it sounded he 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 knows how to say it uh, like a fascinating intriguing quote he said like we're going to treat every play like it has a history of its own like that ma- attitude's great i love that attitude yeah treat every play like it it could be your last and yep. and it could be a big play and it's he couldn't have done the more polar opposite he didn't even trust his quarterback to hand off the ball and not like, what are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. It, that even a handoff would have pissed me off because in today's NFL, you go, you try and drive down the field, you try to make a big play. You don't just hate. I mean, I, I actually don't care that much because I haven't watched them in months. Or like, I, I mean, I'm, maybe I, I shouldn't admit that because you have me on as the diehard Giants fan, but I, I mean, that's obvious. I, I, how could you watch them? But I still get mad when I hear these things because they're keeping him. Like, he, he gave up. He doesn't, he, he doesn't even, he, he doesn't understand. You don't punt. You don't play to punt in 2022. That's not how football is played anymore. It hasn't been played that way in 30 years. <laughs> Troy Aikman and John Elway, knew, they were throwing the ball pretty far down the field. Like people, <laughs> people have been able to throw the ball far down the field for decades now, Judge, you freaking clown. You don't play for the punt. It, it's the most pathetic mindset 
And it's so cowardly for someone that just likes to get up on this podium and act tough and say, we ain't some clown show. You literally are exactly a clown show. You're you, you coach like you're scared of your own shadow and you should not ever, he should never get a job in the NFL again. When you combine his lack of overall understanding of football game management and just his lying. Yeah. Players are calling us praying to come back. No, they're not. That's a lie. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up his quote last week. I, I do have that one still, so I'm going to pull that one again. This ain't a team yeah, that fist fights on the sidelines. This ain't some clown show organization or something else. First of all, you cannot be taking shots at the other team when you just got skunked 29-3 by the Bears who had their, fired their coach after the season. That's that's one thing. And then you go play that team next week, you lose them 22-7. to What's it say about you? Exactly. I mean, in the professional world, anytime, I, I've worked with a lot of people. Anytime someone is in a position where they need to defend themselves or anyone, anytime someone puts another person down in order to make themselves look better, that person's a scumbag and they have no leg to stand on. They have, they can't stand on their own merits. This ain't some clown show. We're not fighting on the sidelines. Ron Rivero is a respected coach. that has been around for decades. He's, he's been, he's had a lot of success. Don't go criticize, don't criticize any other coach, but not, especially not him. I wish Ron Rivera just decked him in the face after the game. Yeah. He would have beat the hell out of him. It would have been great. And maybe Barrow would have fired Judge after that. Yeah. But, yeah, and then, he, and then you go lose to them in embarrassing fashion. Makes it that much worse. Yeah, and you mentioned the embarrassing fashion here. The Giants did some, did some historic stuff while you were not watching the games. I mean, they lost their last six games by double digits. They are outscored 163-56 to 56 over that span. And it's the longest streak in team history, which – I mean, this goes to show you, and a week yesterday where the Jaguars upset the Colts, knocking out of the playoffs. The Lions played hard and beat the uh, Green Bay Packers. The Texans gave the Titans a big fight. The Jets played hard against the Bills. The Giants have basically packed it in for about a month and a half, and the only game they won is because the Eagles were completely inept in, in, in MetLife a couple weeks ago. Exactly. I mean, I, I kept up. I read it a lot. I, every After every game, I obviously check the box score. I read the articles. I peruse twitter like obsessively praying that they'll there'll be the announcement that gentlemen and judge are fired even though i know with 100 certainty it's never happening that that's the other judge keeps talking about how hard everybody's fighting and and there's the few defenders i see a judge on twitter say you could tell the team's fighting hard how they're getting blown out every single game they, i mean i think people think if the players aren't literally lying down on the field that means they're playing hard football it's not going to, it would be very difficult for it to be obvious you're not trying, even though the score and the results should be a, a decent indicator that they might not be giving 100%. Um, Kenny Galladay, I, I heard he apparently didn't lay out for a couple of passes he could have. Oh, yeah, he did. I mean, it's, there, there's no evidence, there's nothing about the way they're playing to indicate that they're playing hard. I mean, but I will say there's so, Judge is so inept and the scheme is so bad that. The score is also a reflection of just how bad they are. Maybe they are giving effort and they're just so terrible. That That's certainly possible. But either way, there's no good way to spin it. Oh, well, they're trying hard. But even though they're trying 100%, we're losing by two or three touchdowns every game. That's great. So just now we need to get good players and make them try hard and a good scheme while we're at it. So Judge has the trying hard part. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't actually, but Unbelievable. Yeah, and well, now we get to today. Now the fun starts today because obviously we had the release this morning that you know Gelman is that is retiring, and they say all these kind words about him. And then 
They don't bother making Gabe Gelman talk to the media. So Gelman basically gets the duck out of the building without having to address the press since training camp. So he basically gets to run and hide from this disaster. Of course. I mean, that's the Giants' way. He's our friend. Yeah. So he's barely ever talked to the press. He, I mean, when he did, he mocked he mocked the use of computers. You remember when he said computer yeah. folk on the analyst? Oh, no, he, he actually, we've hired more computer folks. That's when he realized that you might want to use a computer. But back in the day when they, they were defending Saquon, he said computer folk. That's the smugness. He, he's like, that's what I love is the love, love, hate, whatever you want to call it. All of their insanely dumb moves. Phil, Phil Fried, I actually mentioned this. They were so like certain and arrogant about it when everyone was telling that, when everyone was correctly stating that it was obviously bad, like picking Saquon second, Daniel Jones sixth, just the list goes on and on. They all failed, predictably failed terribly, but it's, it doesn't really matter that much, but it's so much worse when like you have a guy who's smug and arrogant about it that, and then he just, he's just, he gets to disappear into the sunset. You don't get to confront him and say, well, I thought, well, why, what, how did it work out drafting the, 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 gold jacket running back that was touched by the hand of God and, <laughs> and Daniel Jones, I fell in full bloom love with because of a freaking exhibition game. What's going on with those moves? It, it, it would just be a little cathartic. I, 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 they should just honestly let put David Gellman at the podium and let everyone throw tomatoes at him <laughs> just, just for 10 minutes. That would make us all feel better. I would, I would just honestly prefer like, you know, Especially how, after how much shit he gave Kim Jones over the years, like if she got a chance to like ask him like four questions in a row with him having to answer them, because like she was like call his bullshit from day one. I gave her credit for that. Yeah, she was. She yeah. was on it. There was not not that many. There was a few writers out there, but I mean, I'm sure the media game they have to be somewhat cordial because their access and jobs are dependent on a relationship with the team. But no, she, I give her credit as well. She was on it. Um, and he's a jerk and he sucks his job. I, I, I mean, can you tell I love him and like we're best friends? <laughs> we're going to hang out in Cape Cod together this summer. Yeah. Yeah. It bothers me that the lack of accountability is, it's really embarrassing. Cause then, but that John Mayer's a spineless coward. And honestly, it feels good to say it. I hope one day this gets to him. Yeah. And next up here, next part of the process here, we, Joe Judge apparently had a brief like five minute meeting with, with John Mara in the morning and then, he went and talked to the team, and the team had, like, you know, he basically told him, like, oh, like, basically talking, like, oh, I'm going to be here next year, not saying as much. And then the Giants, in their infinite wisdom, decided to send all the players out to talk to the media without giving them any heads up on what's going on with the coach. So, of course, everybody, whether it's Daniel Jones, Evan Ingram, Leonard Williams, the first question everybody's mouth is, like, what do you do about Joe Judge? Should Joe Judge be back? What about Joe Judge? Like, that's not fair. Those players have to be on the front lines while Mara hides in his office, and he can't make a decision. Of course. I mean, that's that's the exact move I would expect from a spineless coward. Let the players handle it and they'll they'll take the fall. I actually I will say I mean, the Giants, this doesn't matter at all. The Giants players all see it like they have a bunch of likable players. I want Daniel Jones to be good. I, I want Leonard Williams to be good. I want uh, like Logan Ryan. They, they all like seem to take accountability and want to be good. I don't think like, they just they're just not. But they and I love I, I see like the the, the uh, media asks them like what they think about Joe Judge. Their answers couldn't be more meaningless. None of them are going to throw the, the coach under the bus. They have to play for him next year, probably. Or if not, if they say something bad, they'll get cut and lose out on millions of dollars. It's it's I, I, I don't understand. I mean, it's it's you can't even begin to create a logical explanation for how the Giants have handled this situation. It's I actually foolishly thought the Giants were going to do the right thing last night and fire Judge. I, I was certain they were going to keep him. And then 
with the the sneaks and the the rant and all the nonsense and just him being ripped universally across the media and, and fans showing up wearing clown outfits. Like, how could you possibly keep that guy? Sure enough, it looks like they're going to do it. Yeah. And the, I mean, when you contrast that with the Dolphins firing a legitimately good coach and even the Vikings, Mike Zimmer, it was his time for sure. He's a solid coach. I mean, he's not a disgrace, Like, but it was his time. But I mean, how, and the Giants can't come to the conclusion that this complete joke of a coach, it should have been a, quick easy decision shouldn't have even been something they contemplated but here we are yeah <laughs> full day into black monday yeah i think you're right you mentioned obviously brian flores he went 19 he wins 19 games the dolphins in two years and that team was a dumpster fire when he got there and he had a yep. eight game losing eight game winning streak in season after you know getting off to that awful start he loses his job, but that might be more of the Dolphins being bad as an organization, but that's one thing. Mike Zimmer, been to the playoffs multiple times, took the Vikings in the NFC Championship game, gets fired. Matt Nagy took the Bears to the playoffs twice. He gets fired. Joe Judge, 10-23 and 23 in two years and is sinking like a balloon down the stretch here. All of, a, all of a sudden, we have to debate about this. To me, if I'm a Giant fan, and it's not blatantly obvious that he needs to be replaced, that's a problem. Exactly. It's... If they fired him tomorrow, I'd still be like, this was ve- this was an upsetting, very, like, I'm not confident things are going to change. It shouldn't have even been a debate. And it, I, I really think this all relates to John Marrow being stubborn and thinking his way is the best. And he wants to prove that he his the Giants' way is better. He goes, oh, we don't fire coaches after two straight, you know, two years, three times in a row. Well, you don't, but you hire terrible coaches every single time. And you, you assemble the terrible roster every single year. And it's, it's, it's an absolute disgrace. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. It's Joe judge is it, it's going to, it's going to be one of those eras. We just look back on eventually, if we ever get to the other side to a new era of good giants football again, but Joe Judge will go down in the annals of horrendous coaching. He actually reminds me of Matt Patricia a lot. Just yeah. Patricia wasn't as bombastic, but he had the he was obviously bad immediately. At least I think it was just so obvious right off the get go. Just he just it was just obvious. You know, there's certain coaches that you could just tell right away, uh, and that he managed to get through the second full season. And it was the, everyone was shocked they didn't fire him, but it was like the Lions organization their front office just dug in and said we've got to make this guy work he preached culture he preached setting the right mindset and he's also a belichick disciple so they gave him the third year sure enough they stunk again they fired him in the middle of the season it's it's actually it's actually like a spitting replica of joe with the joe judge situation in my opinion down to the belichick uh link and i i i don't if judge makes it i don't think he'll make it through the third year he'll do something he'll just keep embarrassing himself and Mario just have to pull the plug yeah the thing that bothers me is this whole revolving door fouls you know SNY is Ralph Backy I was talking about it a lot where John Mario Vegetine says you know like I don't want to be the team that's firing the coach every two years especially when John Mario's only makes the final call on the coaches so everyone that fails reflection on him and we've heard the mirror supports like oh he thinks he's found his Bill Belichick he found the Bill, next Bill Parcells with this guy it's so stupid the thing that's wrong with his philosophy is like Yes, firing coach every two years is not ideal, but if they all suck, they all suck. They got to go. It's like you're, exactly. comp- you're compounding the mistake by just, like you said, we're going to give him three years instead of two. Like all you're doing is dig yourself a deeper hole for the next guy to try and fix. Exactly. It honestly kind of, Mara claims he cares so much. I don't know if he does anymore because if he cared this much, 
like he would it's unless he's just he he's obviously not very bright when it comes to football i don't know if he's bright at all but i mean i don't know him well but if he knew it, it's so obvious judge is a bad coach i think his mentality is he's probably terrible but on the one percent chance i'm right let's just keep him because then i'll look like a genius but if he cared so much you wouldn't bank on that one percent chance you'd say you know what this 99 percent chance he's awful it's time to move on. He's proven it. In my mind, he's 100% terrible. But it, I'm just trying to think of lot, like any sort of logic to give Mara <laughs> to get in his mind and figure out what he's possibly thinking. Because I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know. I, it makes no sense. And yeah, I found my Belichick. No, you don't. You don't find your. I hate when people say the, the McVay. I will say actually, Sean McVay's tree looks great right now. But mostly, when you try and replicate another coach. It's not going to work, especially Bill Belichick. Belichick's one of a kind. It's his assistants without fail are awful. Like almost every single one of them is, are terrible. So I, I I would never be like if another hot shot is like Brian Flores is actually good. So that he's he's one of the exceptions. Yeah. But you don't you can't just say I found my guy. Well, no, you didn't. He sucks. Move on. Yeah, you do, you do need to move on. And the thing right now is, as of right now, we're going to operate under the assumption that Joe Judge is staying and. Right now, to the Giants' credit, and they deserve very little at this point, but to their credit, it sounds like the public perception is wean them off of just promoting Kevin Abrams. They're actually going to go outside the organization for a hire. They have a list of a bunch of guys out there, and for what I've seen, let's take some decent candidates on there, but the problem I have with this is, like, what respectable candidate is going to look at a situation where you have to take on this head coach, and I know that Judge, like, Mara may hide on, like, oh, well, we're going to let the GM, you know, ha have some say on Judge's future. That's a dumb philosophy. We'll get that in a second. But well, you can look at that where you're basically sat with a bad coach. You have no cap room. You have no talent on the roster. You have to fix your entire offensive line and overhaul a bunch of positions. You have a quarterback situation you don't know the answer to. You have two top 10 pick, which is nice, but there's just so much work to do. It's like, like what makes this job attractive when you can't even pick your coach? Nothing, not a single thing. I don't care about the first two first round picks. I mean, we like you said, we don't know about Daniel Jones. The line is a mess. Both lines are a mess. And the, just the organization is, I think the Giants GM opening, if all GM, if all teams had a GM vacancy, I would say the Giants would be the least desirable. Not, I mean, well, you can make the arguments the least desirable based on roster and cap space. When you, the biggest factor is the stupidity of the organization and the front and the and the ownership. Like, why? I agree. There's literally nothing that makes this team desirable. The two first round picks, yippee! Like, it's it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't. I would say that they're the least desirable, worst job in in the NFL right now. I mean, actually, from a job security standpoint, it doesn't matter how you do. Like, you just have to befriend Mara. I think if you take John Mara out for a beer. And like you tell some funny jokes, he'll keep he'll you'll have your job for at least four years. And if you suck, he'll let you retire. Yeah. So I guess from that standpoint, that's the, that's the appeal. You have job, you have a lot of job security if you if you befriend John. But in terms of if you want to be successful in your job and put on a winning product, it's a terrible terrible position to have. Yeah, I had to say I was talking to uh, our friend Phil Fry earlier. I said. This whole situation right now where the coach is still hanging on here by a thread and I don't know if I feel like the whole thing is going to be the cop out of like, oh, let's let the GM decide. And, oh, conveniently, I hired a GM who likes Joe Judge. So he's going to stay. That's great. But to me, this sort of gives you peak 2013 Jets energy here where 
They fired Mike Tannenbaum. They kept Rex Ryan. They brought in John Idzik, and that became a disaster that basically set the stage the next decade of misery for the Jets. So, I mean, you guys are right there. That's a problem. You don't want to be in that spot. We're there. We're right there. You're right. It's been this cycle. I've said this a couple of years ago. I don't remember when I've said it on this podcast. To not have the GM and coach in sync on the literally starting in the same same timeline is only bad. There's nothing good that can come from it. Is we it's so predictable what's going to happen. They're gonna if they hire an outside GM and keep Judge, which seems likely, they're gonna suck again. Then you have to fire Judge. Then the GM is borderline on the hot seat. He gets another year, at least another. Well, with the Giants, he gets twenty years. But let's throw that aside. Year two. They'll probably stink again because it's the Giants. Then you're a coach that's in year one, a GM that's had two bad years. Now he's on the hot seat, but the coach can't be on the hot seat because he's only going to year two. It's this vicious cycle that they they just refuse to fix, but it's so easy to fix right now. Joe Judge is begging that he's his actions make it seem like he doesn't want to be employed. Like he's his actions are begging to get fired, yeah. but they just refuse to do it and just do the obvious common sense thing and get the GM and co- get a GM. Let him make the decision. You shouldn't even, it shouldn't even be a factor in the interview. It should be clean slate. He sucks. He sucks. And on the, all, I, Nikki said this in your podcast. I've texted this about him that they're terrified of being wrong and firing or cutting someone too soon. It doesn't matter. If you, if you happen to get rid of someone too soon, oh well, he's not going to be Bill Belichick. That's certain. Even if he is, you got unlucky. That, that, I mean, he's shown so much evidence that he sucks that if he happens to go to another organization and, and be the historically great coach, that's life. That's going to happen sometimes. It's not going to happen in this instance, but if it does, oh, well, you, you, ha- you, have, you have to move on when someone gives you years of evidence that they're terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's simple as, you know what, like I was kind of saying a joke earlier in the year that like, I don't know if you're a big Seinfeld guy. Do you? Were you not really, no. There was an episode of Seinfeld where George works for the Yankees where – George basically gets offered a job by the Mets and says, like, you have to get yourself fired. So he's doing all these ridiculous things, like dragging the World Series trophy around his car, insulting his boss. He's trying to get himself yeah. fired. He can't get himself fired. So I think that's sort of what's going yeah. I was joking. That's what's happening here. But he's just he keeping turning late <laughs> in his job. It sounds like it. Yeah. Can you imagine if the Giants were the team that hired Urban Meyer? Yeah. <laughs> they never would have because he, he's just not a type, the type of guy they'd hire. But he, I mean, I'm convinced he really wanted to get fired by the Jaguars. But he would have, he probably would have been, who knows what he'd have been doing to get fired. He'd probably be at strip clubs, like live streaming, like the morning of a game. Yeah. Um, and Mara would be still struggling to fire him. Yeah. And I just, you know, I feel like, I feel bad for the Giant fans because, like, you're going down the road. I went down, it's not a front road to be on. And you just sit there and you're watching this, like, slow motion train act. You're just going, uh uh-uh. uh. You see the train going off the cliff. You can't stop it, but you're on the ride. It's not fun. Uh, what was that clip from? It was from the Muppets. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Uh, the Muppets are always, always coming in handy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you feeling bad for us. You, you, you've gone through the same thing for years with the Jets. I, I've really gotten to the point. I don't care in that. I'll, I mean, I don't watch anymore. It's like I watched the first probably eight or nine games. And even then I just barely paid attention, but now it's, it's gotten to a point. Like I said, if judges the coach, I won't even consider turning them on next year. And it's sad because I really did love watching them and, and following them and talking to my friends about them. It's so much, it's so much negative energy when you talk about them because there's nothing good. It's, 
well, who are we going to fire next? What's our off-season plan? By October at the latest, yep. like November maybe. But they're, they're out of every single season. So, yeah, it, it's just it's just going to be the same story every year until, you know, I don't know. And there's no until. It's just going to keep going, <laughs> as depressing as that sounds. Yeah. Once again, I'm going to sort of wrap it up here. Just point out one thing here. It's like the fact that, again, after that rant last week from Mr. Judge, where it was reminding me so much of – the Idzik press conference, middle of 2014, got himself fired. Had the Jet fans buying the plane, flying over the, over the facility. The fact that we have that. And then this week, you have the sneaks. And he might keep his job. Oh, my God. Like, how <laughs> could all my friends say so? <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, it really, it's so, it's actually hard to believe. Yeah. Like, the Gettleman stuff was very hard to believe, too. It's pretty much equally indefensible. Like Gettleman staying going into year three was indefensible. Year four was again. You start to wonder like what blackmail he has over Mara, <laughs> Judge. It's it, <laughs> the Joe Judge stuff. It's it's like he condensed that timeline of making it unbelievable that he's keeping his job into like a five week span. Like six weeks ago, if he if he just finished the season bad. I would have been like, he should be fired, but I'm not going to go nuts because it's two years and they were ravaged by injuries. I, it, but he made so many mind-bogglingly dumb statements, decisions. It's it's just, it's pathetic. And it's 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 hard to believe, but I mean, that you have to put the Giants in the same group as the Lions, the Jets, the Jags. They are. I don't, it, it's, everyone sees it now. It took, like I said earlier, it took people longer because they won a Super Bowl relatively recently, but they, Joe Judge, the fact that he used this ain't some clown show, like he literally used the exact perfect term to describe what the Giants are. They are a clown show. It's it's laughable. Yeah, I like, think it's a sad laughing, like the, the sad clown. Yeah, I think it's a more concise definition of what the Giants are right now. They stink. They're right there. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> oh, man. It's so upsetting. But I mean, on the bright side, there is no bright side. We're gonna stink for a long time. You are. And, uh, you are the, the same story. This is the Isaiah Thomas New York Knicks. It really is. I said that. I, I've been saying that for a long time. It's it's gotten to that level. I mean, the, the it's like letting Gettleman retire and take pictures on the field of his family is one final smack in the face to us Giants fans. Like, it, I it would. I really do think it would have been cathartic if they they had a press conference and said, "Look, this was a mistake." Gentleman, we respect him. He had a great career. They, I mean, I would have loved it if they just ripped him, but I know that's not realistic. People don't do that. If they just said it didn't work, we're not happy with the on-field product, we're letting him go because of poor job performance. Done. I'd be like, okay, thank you for acknowledging that. Like, I feel better. I'm gonna go back and live my life. But no, retiring, like F off, Mara, F off Gentleman, F off Judge. Like, you guys all should just be like banned from participating in the NFL. It's a disgrace. It's a complete disgrace. It is because again, I said, I'll make as my last point here is like the fact that again, those two things, the, the rant, the blowouts and the quitting on the field with that punt. Like to me, that is the equivalent, the modern day age of the, you remember the Joe Pisarchik fumble in the seventies that got the giants to bring in George young. That is, yep. that's the equivalent of that play. And instead of firing the coach, yeah. they're keeping the coach. That tells you all you need to know about the state Keep, of Keeping him, and he's probably going to have input on the, who the next GM is. So he's getting more power. 
four and 13 gets you more power. It's, oh man, it's a complete laughing stock. But on the bright side for your podcast, there'll be more entertaining content with us Chinese fans ranting this time next year. Yeah, because I was wondering where the sufferings had come from for me with this because it feels like the Jets are slowly going on the way up. The Mets are become, become the new Yankees. They're spending all the money and the Knicks are showing some confidence. The Giants are going to be the source of the suffering. Yeah, what the heck? You told us 10, 15 years ago, the Giants would be a clown organization. The Yankees would be frugal. The Mets would have a hedge fund owner that spends outspends everybody. We would be like, that's not real. Just stop lying. Yeah. <laughs> And the Knicks would actually show, show confidence. Yeah, the Knicks actually made the playoffs and like had a chance to win some games. Yeah, it's it's bizarro world. And the Nets are like have all the superstars <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> bizarro world of sports, but yeah, hey, it is a bizarro world. Justin, thanks all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, if you want to follow you on the social media streets, how can I do that? Um, just on Instagram, I am at uh, underscore Justin FDS. Thanks, thanks, Mike. This is a blast. Uh, keep doing your thing. You, you, your podcast is great. It's very entertaining to listen to. Thank you. Herbert firing, and it is going to be caught in the end zone by the big body, Mike Williams. Insanity. This is just insane. You're going to see the double team on the far left-hand side. You had... Hayward on the inside, the safety on the outside, and Herbert just threw a bullet about a foot off the ground. They time it perfectly, and nobody in Pittsburgh can believe what's happening. All right, we are back here on the Justin Suffering Podcast. You just heard NBC Sports, Al Michaels, and Chris Collinsworth calling a touchdown from Justin Herbert to tie the game in regulation at the overtime. One of the wildest game of the year. Joining today, as we wrap up week 18, get ready for the NFL playoffs, the host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast, Joe Dalwizio is here. Joe, how are you? Mike, I am doing well. As always, thanks for having me. Not a problem. I have to say, on the NFL, now they're expanding to 18 weeks, and I was sitting there like, oh boy, you know, like the extra game where you're deleting the product, blah, blah, blah. Sort of what happened last year's Super Wildcard weekend where we said, oh, we need this many games. Like, yes, we did need this many games. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the, the games that mattered were really great games yep. for the most part. Um, and, you know, the intro clip to this podcast, to the segment, I mean, that was probably one of the best games of the season. Yeah. And it's fun going into it. It's like, wow, imagine if both teams are just like, all right, we'll just kneel it out the entire way. Like what kind of publicity that still would have gotten um, for both those teams getting in. And then at the end where they almost tie at 32, which is like, you like can't make that up. Yeah. Um, the fact that it, it almost happened is just crazy. The NFL couldn't have asked for a better ending or a better Sunday night game to push them into the playoffs. Oh, for sure. I, I said on Twitter at the time, and this is how good the game was, because usually, like, if I am, like, multitasking, you know, I'll put, like, a podcast on, I'll have the game on, we work on something. Like, the podcast went off, like, about, like, what towards the end of the fourth quarter when they were trying to drive down and tie the game. It was like, okay, I'm locked in fully on this all the way through. Oh, you had to be locked in because it was just constant action back and forth and back and forth. And, and really probably what was so exciting or most exciting from this game was the Raiders had the chargers in so many third down opportunities, so many fourth down opportunities. And Justin Herbert just kept converting and converting and converting. And you were like, 
oh my god like this is this is gonna happen this is actually gonna happen and it, it was must watch tv and if you weren't watching it from the start you got sucked in and started watching it because everyone was talking about it yeah yeah that was all the rage on twitter and there was a point in overtime when they were just training these haymakers i'm like can they just agree to tie and both get in because i want to see both these teams in the playoffs have the steelers yeah you know what it really stinks that um somebody i mean Actually, somebody didn't have to go home if they tied. But yeah. um, the fact that one of them is not in really, really probably hurts big time. Yeah, it does. We'll get back to that game in a minute. I want to touch on some of the local angles first. And we'll get the quick one out of the way. Jets end the season 4-13. Does feel like the bar is, the arrow's pointing up a little bit. They play well down the stretch. Zach Wilson didn't throw a pick his last five games. And we heard Joe Douglas yesterday say, hey, you know what, like, Next year, we have to be playing meaningful games in December. We're going to try and have more flexibility with acquisitions. I feel like the arrow is up, but next year is big for them. Yeah, I think I think the arrow is definitely trending in the right direction. And the most important thing that you got late in the season was you saw good progression from Zach Wilson. Um, and that's what you want to see in your young quarterback. You don't want him, You don't want to see him making the same mistakes that he was making earlier on in the season. So the fact that he got better late that's definitely something that you're as a jet fan, as a jet organization, you should be really encouraged about despite only winning uh, four games a season. But now you have a ton of draft capital. You do well here and you win this off season and it starts in the draft. I'm not saying you're going to be much better, but again, you take another step in the right direction. And if I were them, my main focus right now is building the strongest the biggest and the best offensive line possible to not only protect Zach Wilson, but you may have something really nice in Michael Carter. So take advantage of that opportunity here and build that offensive line to help both of them. Oh, for sure. And I mean, we, I, our mutual friend of the podcast, John just he's put on his podcast multiple times here. It's like with the jets, with the way this league is with the talent, they have all the cap space, all the picks, like, there is no reason that next summer we cannot have them at least be on the in the hunt graphic that's up on the broadcast late in the year. If they're not on that graphic, you have big problems. I mean, they they, they should be right around there. They yep. should be right around there. I think it's kind of crazy to just say, oh, you know, if all things work out, they could be a playoff team. Could they possibly? But I don't think they're at that step just yet. Um, again, it starts in the draft. Forget about free agency. It starts in the draft. Look at a guy that I actually thought would have been pre- – very productive for them. Denzel Mims. Like he was nothing, absolutely nothing. You can't afford to have those kind of picks if you want your team to get or to be much better. Yeah, for sure. Now let's go across town to the absolute circus that is the New York football giants. And Joe, do you ever think we'd see a point where the giants were the laughing stock of town? No, definitely not. Um, but they certainly took that level right now with the decision to keep Joe judge. I mean, to me, it's ludicrous. Um, I thought multiple times in that final game, um, he was coaching to get fired. Um, the, some of the formations, some of the plate calling decisions, he was basically like screaming, like, hey, get me out of here. And they did exactly opposite of that. So that, you know, to me is a complete shock. And let me tell you something. Um, for any possible personnel people that are looking for that, new, that to become a GM, I don't think you take this job. I don't think you take this job unless you have control over the coaching. I don't think you take this job unless you have some sort of security um, because it's not worth it. 
No, it's not. And I was talking to you before the podcast started off. I bring some of this stuff on the internet about Ralph Vacchiano's reporting for SNY on this. And I talked last night with my buddy Justin Diaz. We went deep into the circus and the last 48 hours going through yesterday where I said the players have to meet the media without any idea about Joe Judge's job status. And here is the update on Tuesday afternoon. As of right now, Joe Judge is still the head coach of the New York Giants. I want to read you two tweets from Ralph Vacchiano who came out about an hour ago. He said, the Joe Judge watch will likely go on several more days, I understand it. He'll meet again with ownership either today or tomorrow. Then the owners will likely let the GM candidates and their eventual new GM weigh in before making any decision on Judge's future. And then another tweet, this can change any point. The Giants owners can do whatever they want as their franchise. But my understanding is that they will still make the final call on Joe Judge. The new GM will have input. And if he or she is a better option, the owners will consider it. Which to me, you listen to that, Joe Judge coming back. There's no GM that's going to come in here and get them to fire him. It certainly sounds like it, but if I'm someone who's trying to break into that kind of a role or that's my goal, I mean, to hit your wagon to Joe Judge, I say, and maybe I, I stay where I am until the next opportunity comes. And there are other opportunities right now. I mean, Minnesota and Chicago have GM openings and both are more attractive than this one. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, especially, you know, with Chicago, um, probably a little bit more rebuilding than Minnesota, but you do have a young quarterback that, you know, you get the right guy and the right people around them. Maybe that's special in Minnesota. You have a lot of talent on that offensive side of things. You got to rebuild the defense a little bit, but way more attractive than the New York Giants. That's for sure. Yeah. Putting aside the Joe Judge thing, if you and I were a GM, I think the only condition I take this job in is if I do the Joe Douglas approach, right? Go to John Mara and say, I need six years or I'm not taking this job. I want a six year yeah. contract. There is no way you could take this job without any sort of security. Yeah. In a sense of, you know, I, I want six years. Yeah. Because by then you could hopefully, you know, maybe you deal with Joe Judge for one more season, but then you could bring your guy in. But again, if I'm a if I'm a, a new general manager to be told that I don't have control over who's coaching the team, I don't know. That's a red flag. That's probably an organization that I don't want to be at. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be there either. And we're going to sure be talking more for the Giants going forward here. I want to go into some of the other stuff that's flowing around here. The Black Monday stuff. Joe Judd somehow has his job, but I said clean house in Chicago, clean house in Minnesota. Brian Flores surprisingly out in Miami. I think that's the biggest shock of the three as far as if the Dolphins let Flores go. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an easy one. I think letting Flores go was, was the biggest shock out of all of um, – the Black Monday, the Black Monday news. Uh, I thought Brian Flores did a, a solid job in Miami. Definitely didn't warrant um, getting canned. Um, I think there it may be kind of a scenario where Brian Flores wanted or saw something one way, and the organization and the team want something else. And I, that's the only conceivable thing that I could, or the logical thing that I could think of, that resulted and Brian Flores getting fired because I don't, I don't think he should have been. I mean, his record was solid. He went head to head with Bill Belichick and performed extremely well. I mean, he came back this season when the season was pretty much dead and had them fighting all the way till the end. I, I, I don't, it's confusing as to why this happened. And I just think there's something behind the scenes that we may not be privy of. Yeah, there had to be some sort of friction with him and Chris Greer. And the fact that Stephen Ross picked Greer, who whiffed on all those draft picks and all those free and signs, that he got the job, this tells you that organization is rotten too. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another place where, like, you know, buyer beware if you end up there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I heard rumors right now that Jim Caldwell's on the list there. And, again, like, that's the long-term – like, I not make much of a long-term play there. He's 67 years old. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Jim Caldwell is going to do better than Brian Flores right now. And, quite frankly, I don't think any assistant or any former coach that may be in the conversation is going to go to Miami and be better than Flores. So, um, whoever gets Flores, though, is getting a great coach. So – Whatever organization he lands on, man, you, you might have hit the jackpot there. Yeah, it's a bad sign to me, and I forget who says on Twitter. I think it was one of the Barstool guys that was correct about this. Like, if you fire your coach, he becomes the top candidate in the market. Maybe you shouldn't have fired your coach. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, you know, it's actually pretty, it, it's pretty crazy because heading into Monday, right, on Fox's NFL pregame show, you know, they have Jay Glazer on and they have, and he was talking about, you know, who's safe and who's out. And number one on his safe list was Brian Flores. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he automatically becomes the, the hottest candidate on the market, in my opinion. And if that's the case, there's an issue there. I think you messed up, Miami. Yeah. Also, about that second thing, Jay Glazer, I do give him credit too, because he said, like, I, he'd been told that, hey, keep an eye on the Flores thing. It's like, it's, there's, he heard rumbling that something was not right there. So, Glazer, again, well connected. I mean, of course, one of the best in the industry. Yeah. He absolutely is. And I want to get some of the interesting week 18 games. The NFC stuff, I think, was pretty easy. I mean, you're already investing that as the Packer guy, considering these are guys they might be playing in the playoffs here. And I think the NFC drama with the Ram 49er game sort of being the highlight of the day there, I thought that was definitely a fun game. And credit to the Niners, too, where, they look dead and buried in that game. They're down 17 points in the second half. And then Jimmy Garoppolo leads them back. They have the big stand in overtime. Great job by them. Yeah, that was an incredible game. I mean, going into Sunday, really looking at both the AFC and NFC, there's way more on the line for the AFC in terms of movement, number one seed, division clinching. There was a lot of different scenarios. The NFC was kind of cut and dry. There wasn't much movement that could have been possible, but – I thought the 49ers rallied back and played excellent, and I didn't expect that from them. Oh, for sure. And AFC obviously hinges on a couple of big things here. The big shocker, though, is the Colts, who I made a joke about this last week on the, on the pick segment. I was like, you know, like, if they finally lose to Jacksonville, I know they had not won there since 2014. Like, if they had finally lose to the Jaguars, something has gone horribly wrong here. And they not only lose the Jaguars, they're uncompetitive against the Jaguars. I don't know what the hell happened there, but that was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I thought the Colts would be a lock. Um, you know, Mike, that now in, in the state of New York, finally you could wager uh, mobily. Sports wagering is, is now legal in New York um, on the mobile devices. So FanDuel, DraftKings, I mean, I ran to those apps and thought, you know, Jonathan Taylor, anytime touchdown score was the lock of all locks. Yeah. Man, was I wrong. Yeah. And so was everybody else. Um, that was a... That was an abysmal performance by the Colts. And quite frankly, they played their worst possible game at the worst possible time. And you perform like that in the final week, you don't against a team like the Jags. And this is no disrespect to the Jags. You don't deserve to make the playoffs. I'm sorry. You, you don't deserve to have an opportunity to play uh, deep into January when you, when you perform like that. And you know what? I, I think this all falls on, on, the media, the mediocre quarterback that Carson Wentz is. Oh yeah, Wentz was a disaster that game. Whether it was taking the sacks, that pick he threw in the third quarter, losing the fumble to start the second half, those two plays really turned the whole game. Yeah, I just you know you saw who Carson Wentz really is 
with his time in Indy. And if I'm the Colts, I mean, you you got to be looking for a better quarterback. I'm sorry. Yeah. You have to be. Yeah, and I mean, they gave a first-round pick to the Eagles for him, so that's a, that's the even bigger disaster. Like, they made the playoff this year, and they lose that first-round pick. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, but uh, kudos to the Jags playing spoiler there. Oh, I yeah. love to see it. I, I love to see it, but at the same time, I mean, that's the last thing I really expected on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. And that gave us the great drama because obviously the Steelers went in overtime and they're sitting there waiting because we know like as long as somebody wins the Raider Charger game, they're in and they're in the seventh spot. They're going to KC. And we had the joke like, oh, they should just, you know, kneel the ball. They see they're playing to win. Then we get the scenario where they get to get the tie. We got overtime, both kicking field goals. This game was so dramatic. I said it on here. I think the best NFL game, in my opinion, regular season wise, since that Ram Chief like barn burn on Monday night a couple of years ago. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was an incredible game. As we talked about a little earlier in the podcast, uh, just constant action, constant back and forth. And so many people were talking about it that, like, if you weren't watching, you had to leave what you were doing and go lock in. Um, and I can only imagine if you were a Pittsburgh fan. Yeah. Uh, because if if Brandon Staley plays his cards a little bit differently at the end of that game, I really think that they're, they're tying. Yeah. I, I really don't think that. I, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I think, I think the Raiders would have still tried to kick a field. Yes. I really do. I do believe that they would have still tried to win the game, but I think Staley calling timeout kind of rubbed the Raiders the wrong way saying like, Hey, we have an opportunity to win this game. Right. Yeah. We could kick a field goal. If we're too far out, I think we're both satisfied with tying both going in the postseason. Yeah. And the fact that Staley kind of misplayed his cards, and you saw some of the highlights post game of the players uh, talking amongst each other, asking, like, oh, we're you going to kneel the ball? Or, um, you know, Justin Herbert mumbling, I, I, I'm begging for a tie or whatever he said. Yeah. Uh, I think this this one this one this one decision to call timeout is gonna really haunt them all offseason. Yeah, to reset people who may have fallen asleep and missed the end of that game there. Obviously the Raiders, they both kicked field goals in overtime. Raiders had the ball. They're going down. They're past the two minute warning. There's about 38 seconds left. It's third and four. They're taking their time, not throwing because they don't want to risk a pick or something like that. And the Chargers call timeout about five seconds left on the play clock. And then all of a sudden the Raiders come out. 10-yard run. I do think the criticism of calling the timeout is a bit unfair because you look at the Raider formation, they were in shotgun. I think they're going to go kneel it and just go to take the tie and go here for it here. But I do think Staley did tempt his fate a little bit by, you know, just pushing the envelope so much with the decisions like going for it on fourth and one in his own, inside his own 20-yard line, gave the Raiders three points. Like, you think he takes the Alex a little too far? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think he just – he – he overthought it there. And, you know, it's a young coaching mistake that he's never, he's not going to forget ever. And it stinks because I would have loved to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs. I yeah. mean, he, he's, he has huge playmaking ability. One of the, one of the better younger quarterbacks in this league and, you know, to not, to, to lose out like that, that's a, that's a tough one. And I thought the entire time they were jinxing, Vegas's kicker saying he's never missed in this stadium. He's never missed in this stadium. And I was like, here it comes. Like it, it's coming. Yeah. And, and kudos to him. Carlson, I believe it is who, you know, yeah. clutch as hell. Yeah. gets his team into the postseason and the Rangers completely ever since letting go of John Gruden completely flipped their script in their season. So 
now they go into the post into the postseason with a lot of momentum. Yeah, for sure. I also want to point out here as well. It's like in terms of like the whole go for the tie thing. Like these people forget. Like this is not like there. No offense. No, it's not European soccer where like you know if you have the result, like teams have been known to collude and say, "Hey, we're gonna you know go for just kick it out, play for a draw, and go from there." It's like these guys, football players, are not gonna walk into the room have Versace go in there and say, "Hey." We're going to kneel every play when we greet the Chargers if we're going to have a tie the game because, A, I don't think any of them are going to believe the Frisbee's dilemma here where, you know, I'm not going to do it. They're not going to do it. I don't think it comes to consideration until you're late in overtime and you haven't gotten anywhere. Until that point, they're playing for the win. And, and I mean, I will say this. I am a big soccer fan. Um, I think it's a lot easier to tie in a game like that than it is in football. Yeah. You know, um, but at the same time, you know, it, you can't really plan a tie. Are you, especially like it'd be so tough to play in a you know a 21 21 game it's like what do you what do you do oh i'll i'll score the first three touchdowns you come back and then we don't do anything like i mean with soccer you could kind of pass the ball around and you know it could slow it down but you really can't slow down an nfl game i think you slow it down that's where people get hurt so um the fact that it almost ended up at it in a tie is is incredible it, oh it absolutely is and now we have a fun super wildcard weekend on tap and Go the AFC side first. You got three games here. The Titans have to buy, and they get Derrick Henry back. It's only for the for the second round games would be great. But we have Chiefs Steelers the Sunday night game, and the other two games are on Saturday. You got the Bengals Raiders in that four thirty slot that no one cares about, and you got the uh, big game on Saturday night Patriots Bills. Like, which of those games are you most excited for? Yeah, I think number one it's Patriots Bills. I'm hearing that it's going to be frigid temperatures in Buffalo, so that'll be great. Where Josh Allen hasn't performed well. So that should be interesting. Um, I'll tell you what, no one cares about that 4.30 Saturday slot, but I think it's got a little juice. I mean, yeah. you got the Raiders who are just coming off a dramatic way of getting into the postseason. So that's your storyline, plus how much better they've been playing um, since they let John Gruden go. And then you have on the, you know, the Cincy side of, you know, Joe Burrow and what he has become and Jamar Chase so I don't think that game is going to be as, you know, bad as some people may think. But, you know, obviously when you have Bill Belichick in the playoffs, being the underdog, it's always fun to watch. So I think that game, that Saturday night game has a little bit more juice. And quite frankly, I think the Kansas City and Pittsburgh game has zero, zero juice. I mean, it's great that Big Ben gets one more shot in the postseason, but he is toast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're done. And I will also gonna throw this out there, too. I'm pretty convinced in this game. Like, I think Tennessee, I don't think people get enough respect for their ability to get the Super Bowl, especially with Derrick Henry back, because they're a much different team with him. They have home field. I don't think Kansas City is unbeatable. Buffalo, we've seen, has problems. These wildcard teams have problems. I think Tennessee, as a Super Bowl phrase, getting slept on significantly. Mike, I'm going to be honest with you. When I look at the AFC and the NFC as a whole, there, I don't think there is a dominant team. I don't think there is one team that you say, oh, they should they should get into the Super Bowl with ease or they have some sort of an advantage. Uh, and I think it's even more open on the AFC side of things. I mean, would I be shocked if the Bengals made a run? Absolutely. But, I mean, if Joe Burrow goes absolutely insane, it, it, it's it's possible. Yeah. Right. And I think there's way more parity in that AFC where anyone could win, where the NFC, again, it's open, but there's a few teams that I think are kind of a step above everybody else. 
Yes, get to the NFC side now. Obviously, your Packers have the bye again. They are not playing on Super Wild Card Weekend. We have the early game on Fox on Sunday. You have the Bucks hosting the Eagles, and I think that one's probably the worst of the three in the NFC. You have the game at 4.30. The highlight of the weekend, I think, is 49ers-Cowboys. I'm excited to see how that plays out. And then the Monday night game with the Cardinals and the Rams, the NFC West third time is a charm here at those three, those teams. Like I think all those games, aside from the – I mean, the Philly game, I think Tampa's going to win pretty easily, but the other two could go either way. Yeah, Philly game has no juice for me. The Philly game is kind of the same as the the Philly Bucks is the same as Steelers um, Chiefs. I think the 49ers and Cowboys is a is a good game, a potential really good game there. Uh, brings a little bit back uh, old school football of yeah. the dominance of the 49ers and the Cowboys. Um, you know, you're a, you're a Cowboys team now led by Mike McCarthy, who has struggled against the 49ers in years past. So that'll be interesting. The Cowboys, I mean, they dominated the final stretch of the season. Do they bring that momentum into the postseason? How does Jimmy Garoppolo go up against that Cowboys defense? Uh, there's a lot of juice. There's a lot of juice there. And I, I think the Monday, the Monday night game, Cardinals-Rams is going to be the marquee matchup um, where, you know, I, I personally think the Rams are going to take care of business. Yeah, it'll be a fun game for sure. And I think in terms of the NFC picture, obviously, I think Green Bay is up there. And, like, as a Packer guy, like, tell me, like, which of those other teams in the conference scares you the most? I mean, listen, we've seen Green Bay in this kind of a scenario the last two seasons, making runs to the NFC championship game and and falling short. Um, I think there are, there, there are three teams that maybe you could put in that category. Um, I think the Rams, the Rams are serious. Okay. I think, you know, offensively, uh, Matthew Stafford is a much different quarterback in LA with a guy like Cooper cup compared to what he was in Detroit. And he just has overall so much more talent around them. So you can't count that them out with their defense. Uh, the Buccaneers, Tom Brady, you never count Tom Brady out. I'm sorry. You just can't. And um, I think those two teams are, are definitely top contenders. And I, I hate to say it because, you know, Mike McCarthy is coaching them, but I think the Cowboys are a step below. So, you know, in terms of who could really give them a, a run for their money, I think you could definitely throw the Rams and the Bucks in there. And then a step below those two teams would be the, would be the Dallas Cowboys. Interesting for sure. And now we have, we kind of touched on all six games of the weekend here. So give me the power rankings here in terms of watchability. Like which one go from one to six here. So like one's the best, six is the worst. How are you ranking them? One's the best. Yeah. I think the best game is definitely going to be uh, Rams Cardinals. I'd go second best um, 49ers Cowboys, third best Patriots Bills, fourth Bengals Raiders, fifth. Eagles, Bucks, and six Steelers Chiefs. Yeah, I think I flipped the orders. I think I put Cowboys 49ers one. I think that's the, the all the storylines and the teams involved make it interesting. I think I put the Patriots Bill second. I put the Cardinal Ram game three, Bengals four, and then the other two are exactly where you have them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it, it'll be exciting. I'm not sure how I feel about the Monday game. A little bit new, obviously. Um, but again, I'm a sucker for football. So if you put football on right now at two o'clock, I'll find a way to watch it in the middle of the week. Yeah, I think also that Monday games that grow on because it's gonna be nice when you have like you go through the playoffs. You have the two games Saturday. You have the three on Sunday. You go, oh wait, I got one more football game this week. I'm excited about that. 
yeah, I, I think that has its has its power. And I think the only thing that sucks is it's like, oh, you know, it's a it's the Monday night game. The next day you have work. I know you have work usually the next day on Sunday, but the way the schedule works out this way, most people aren't working on Monday. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a phenomenal matchup. And like I said, I'm a sucker for football, so I'll watch any day of the week. Absolutely. And last thing I want to do here is I want to sort of close the book on the over-unders we did preseason here. And I have to say, I, I did end up winning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. The final tally here, uh, Joe went 0-5-1. Wow. Impressive. Not a single win. Yeah. The, you got to push on the Saints. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I went 4-1-1. One, and one, So I had a good year. Oh, you had a great year. Yeah. You had a great year. You had to rub that in. No, it's four, actually four and two. So I, I did lose the second game. All right. Well, I mean, still, you had a great year. Yeah. So what do I, what do I owe you now? I think it's, I think it's double up. I think it's like two sandwiches now. Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to owe you a four course meal if you keep <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. Well, it's, I, it's. I, I think I've learned your trick, Mike. You yeah. always bring me on so you could take, you could take the, the food from it. Yeah. Yeah. Be fair. I'm not collecting any of it yet. You haven't, but I'm, I know you will. And I'm a man of my word, so I will make sure that I take care of you. At this point, I may, you know, you may have to give me your favorite deli by your hometown and I'll just <laughs> get, you, get you a gift card for two sandwiches and away we go. Yeah, for sure. And I think next, I mean, obviously, I wish that the betting was legal when we made these. I would have made money on these. Yeah, I mean, now, though, going into next season, you could get a little early juice, a little early action, see what those numbers are in the summer. And you may make some uh, some extra dollars. Did you did you end up uh, throwing a few shekels someplace this past weekend? Yeah, I did throw some shekels around. I did take advantage of all the uh, bonus specials they have where you dub- did the double ups. So I was able to take advantage of that. A lot of free money out there. Yeah, I, there was a lot of free money where it was like, oh, like, like you score like a touchdown score in this game, you win money. You're like more than three points scored. I hit a couple of those, and then i i did I did lay the wood with the bucks. So I got I got the points with that. All right. I like what I'm hearing. So you had a, a very eventful weekend. Yeah. That's the one thing that I will say, um, because of so many like inconsistencies with that week 18, yeah. um, in terms of like who's playing, who's not, not as many teams are playing for much. Um, as a first week to be able to legally wager, definitely not an easy one. Um, but I can only imagine how much money is going to be made this postseason. Oh yeah. I also throw in here. I saw the Raiders on the money line for the uh, for week eighteen, so that was another good one I got. So I'm going to be honest. I was sweating that one out because yeah. I had a same game parlay, all props. Yeah, I had Josh Jacobs anytime touchdown, Austin Eckler anytime touchdown, um, Austin Eckler over fifty six and a half yards, yeah. and I had Keenan Allen under seventy. I think it was seventy and a half. Yeah, and when that game went into overtime. I said, oh, no, yeah. Here, it's going to happen. I'm going to get burned. But um, I did it. I ended up winning that one. So I had a terrible early slot. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I rebounded very well with that, with that night game. Absolutely. Joe, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let Mike, you go. As always, you know, you could always count on me. Absolutely. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow on social media. Keep up with the Sharp Chatter podcast. I'm sure you got something planned for the bye week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, give me a follow on Twitter at Joe double underscore D A L O I S I O. 
Um, all the new episodes are posted there. Yeah, for the bye week, I am currently, I'll give you, I'll peel back the layers in terms of the behind the scenes of how podcasts work. In the process of booking a guest, we'll preview the postseason and we'll talk some gambling. So be on the lookout. Should be a good one. Looking forward for it. Should drop by the end of the week. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Mike, anytime, brother. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks are here for Super Wild Card Weekend. All six games they picked in a minute. Join me today to do that. Somebody whose team I thought would be in Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll get to why they are in a minute. Dan Martini is here. Dan, how are you? If uh, I had a paper bag that I could put over my head, I absolutely would. Um, but I feel like instead I'll just pick the games and move on and start looking at the uh, NFL draft. Yeah. Uh, that's the best way for me to think right now. Yeah, and sadly, you don't even have the bank for the first round pick. I went to the Eagles. Yeah, and uh, obviously our third rounder as well, uh, we flopped. So, you know, we're in a uh, an interesting spot. Uh, there's a lot of talk right now kind of on the Colts media front and Colts Twitter and what people want and what they want to do. The hardest thing for us is to be in the NFL, like a nine and 18, what do you need to fix? You know, your pro bowlers didn't play like pro bowlers the last two weeks of the year. The only one that gets an excuse is DeForest Buckner because he was hurt. Everybody else, like, I don't understand what happened. And you know what I'm waiting for, Mike, is I'm waiting for some sort of an insider story or somebody to leak information that there was a fight in the locker room. Somebody said something about Wentz or the vaccination thing divided the team. Like, I want to know what was really going on because those guys, like, I don't know what team that was, but that was not the Indianapolis Colts for the last seven weeks of the year, what I saw on Sunday in person. So I have no clue what's going on. Yeah, we'll get to the Colts in a minute. I want to continue the through line of the show here because as we went earlier, we had Justin Diaz on the open, good friend of ours, talked last night, talked about the Joe Judd situation with the Giants there. Pitiful 40 hours. He's still the coach. I talked to Joe D this morning, did a little football talk. Joe, Joe Judd is still the coach. But a couple hours before we got on the air, Joe Judge has since been fired by the New York Giants, and they have said that the new GM is going to hire their new coach. So... Dan, I feel like it was the appropriate ending. I'm surprised it took them that long to reach the correct conclusion. You know, you have to wonder why the, the move wasn't made simultaneously. I guess it was maybe whatever ounce of respect the Maras had for Gettleman to quote-unquote retire and make that as a standalone thing, but it just seems so bizarre. I, I don't understand what's going on there in New York, but maybe they're just very comfortable with their recent Super Bowl or semi recent Super Bowl success. And I guess in our lifetime, and they're just not interested in being a great team again, because you can't keep changing your head coach and, and your GM every few years and think that, you know, it's going to just magically work. You've got to start building the right New York giant football way um, and go back to the days of building a stout defense and, and focus on a running game and, and go from there because, you know, they have, they have Saquon Barkley, but when was the last time everybody thought Saquon Barkley was a huge threat, you know, and I know injuries aside, but the team wasn't built for that. So they, they need to get back to the way that they, uh, they had success in the thousands and, and, um, and in the nineties, eighties and nineties. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think right now I want to go back to your calls here because obviously we booked the show ahead of time. I look at the schedule week 17. I see, okay, Colts are playing Jacksonville. Sure, they haven't won there since 2014, but you know what? The Jaguars stink. They just watched the Jets beat them. They're going to be in the playoffs. We'll get Dan on here for the wild card round. The Colts are playing somebody. Instead, we get a 26-11 loss. Steelers win overtime. Colts are knocked out. You were there. What did you see? Um, I saw um, total lack of effort. Um, the sidelines looked dead. Uh, the offensive line, they weren't even yelling at each other. Like every time that they would get stuffed or three and out or whatever it was, they would just go back and sit and they looked like they were enjoying the 82 degree day. It was a beautiful day on Sunday and, and maybe they were, you know, starting to think it was vacation already, but everybody in the world knows I have lived in Florida for seven years now and I've gone to the Colts game six times. I have not seen them win here. And I will continue to go to the game until they prove. I don't care. I'm not the curse. The curse that they is is their attitude when they get to Florida because they think it's vacation time. And it's just, you know, it's looked this way for years. Different players, different coaches. It's the same thing every single time. And I just don't understand. You have to start changing the way you play defense. And um, I think if we had stopped them on that first drive, you know, say what you want. The offense didn't score till late in the second half, really, other than the th- the field goal in the first half. But, you know, the defense letting Trevor Lawrence go nine of nine for like 90 yards and a score right off the bat. Like, come on, man. This is, He hadn't thrown a touchdown pass since October. And yet you make it look like he's been doing it the whole season. He looked like Aaron Rodgers is what it looked like. It was scary. Um, we literally were just like dropping back and saying, go ahead, throw it to this guy. Nope. You want to throw it over the middle? Come on in. You know, like, Oh, you want to throw it over our heads? We'll just watch. It was ridiculous. So I, I have to tell you, I don't know whether to blame Chris Ballard. I, I don't know if it's Frank Reich, Matt Eberflus. I personally, if I was making the decision, if I was Jim Ursay right now, I, I'm not mad with, with Chris Ballard. They clearly, you have seven pro bowlers. You got, you're drafting and acquiring the right guys. Frank Reich, I would prefer if Frank started to, you know, I don't know if he's meant to be the head coach of this team. I love what he does with the offense, and I love his play calling, and I love that he always goes on fourth. But I just don't know. It feels so. He feels so disconnected from the defensive side of things. And Matt Eberflus needs to go. Like, I'm sorry. This whole, you know, we're going to play with speed and edge. Whatever. Whenever he blitzes, it's the most predictable blitz. Like, the other team picks it up easy, and the quarterback has all day. Like, he doesn't show anything exotic. You know, he relies on pass rush. So he plays these soft coverages and hoping that, the pass rush will get there and then force them into these bad throws. But our guys are not built to guard, you know, other opposing teams, bigger, stronger receivers. We have tiny corners other than Rocky scene. And it's just the, the back end of the defense doesn't match the production of the front end. And maybe that is a Chris Ballard thing. I don't know, but you know, we're, we don't get to the quarterback ever. And the other teams, I, know, I, I just couldn't believe how easy it was for Jacksonville to get, to Carson Wentz everybody wants to blame Carson Wentz do I love Carson Wentz as my quarterback no but we have seen teams and have success in the playoffs and in super I mean Jared Goff made it to a Super Bowl right like so you know Carson Wentz can get there too I'm I just don't understand 
why the offensive line played so poorly um, and why everybody wants to point the finger directly there. I saw a, a team that was not ready to play other than T.Y. Hilton. He was probably the only guy I saw that was that was ready to play on Sunday. And and that makes me think that it's a coaching thing. All right. Well, we'll definitely put, keep an eye on that. But I do have to talk about Carson Wentz because obviously like he had the stretch that helped basically turn this game to a close one to a Jaguar blower when they come out of the second half and he gets sacked. He loses the fall, the ball on the sack there, gets fumbled. He throws the big pick later on, at least the more Jaguar points here. And Carson Wentz did not play well against the Raiders either the week before. And I know he's coming off the COVID list. He hadn't practiced all week. But at the same time, like, he's had issues in Philly. He's had issues here. Like, what's the concern here with Carson Wentz? Yeah, you know, he can't win you the big game. And, and that's really what it comes down to. I I know that he can go out on any given week and be great. Maybe he just needs to, like, you know, build – and, and feel comfortable and have a team invest him in him in the in, you know the long long term. I feel like ever ever after like this, his second season in Philadelphia, people were starting to question him. And now that he's in Indianapolis, I think he's still haunted by the fact that he is so desperate to make everybody happy. Um, he's a nice guy. He's got a sweet family, as we saw on on Hard Knocks. I know he's a talented football player, and he looks like a starting quarterback. But, you know, the stuff that's in here, you know, between the ears, he looked panicked. He looked nervous. He acted like cool and comfortable on the sidelines. Like he was warming up and he was like throwing little sidearm things and he looked it. But then we get on the field and he was absolutely terrified. He didn't look calm. Trevor Lawrence looked like a 10-year vet. Like he was dropping back, going through progressions, throwing strikes, going downfield, fist pumping. Carson Wentz looked like, oh, my God, we can go to the playoffs. If I just make this pass, it's going to go great. It, it was a nightmare. He looked skitsy, and he, you know, and then uh, obviously I, I personally, if, my, if I had to rank in order what was wrong, offensive line, every single one of them, I, I, I wanted to see if it was actually Quentin Nelson down there because, and like it wasn't like an imposter because he didn't do anything. He didn't create a single hole. They ran behind him in the whole first half. I think Jonathan Taylor rushed for like 18 yards. It was awful. So, you know, I'm sorry. Carson Wentz is a problem, but he's not the problem. Yeah, and I think you mentioned hard knocks because they've been following the Colts this whole way through. And now, like, you get this finale on Wednesday tomorrow night, and you're going to get a nice little deep dive into what actually went wrong with that side, which is a rare opportunity because it's not something in the NFL, whereas most teams, like, if you have this kind of a collapse – they're gone, their baggies are picked up, and you don't see them again until till July or August. And here you're getting a nice little backdoor, backdoor look into what went wrong in Jacksonville. You can see all the behind-the-scenes stuff. I very much want to see how they prepared. I want Hard Knocks to show as much footage as possible, What, how, how seriously they were practicing, what the game plan was. I want to see what the attitude of the players were. Were they focused or were they just sitting back like, oh, we're just going to run over this team because they just lost by 40. I want answers and I don't need them to say things. I want to read body language. Yeah. And, you know, I want to know who was holding each other accountable. Apparently there's a photo of T.Y. and he was laughing late in the fourth quarter uh, uh, sitting on the bench. I think Darius Leonard, after he got that, you know, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty was clapping and and clearly not you know focused on doing the right thing in the moment and I just want to see like the shattered faces I'm curious are they going to make this episode to be like this somber 
you know, drawn out thing? Or are we going to get to see a little bit of fire of what just happened in the locker room afterwards? Because I'm assuming it was, it, you could hear a pin drop. Uh, if, uh, if, it's, if it's normal, what they show us in the locker room, I'm going to be upset. It's like the guys are just like, oh, well, you know, we blew it, whatever. I am going to be so mad, so mad. You also figure, too, that at that point, the Steelers are still playing. They're going to overtime. You, may, you might have people in the locker room watching that Steeler game and then get immediate reaction afterwards, yeah. too. Everybody, like, I hate to say this. I woke up Sunday morning, and I kind of had a feeling that it was going to be a really, really close game. I didn't think we were going to get blown out, but there was a chance. It was, it was, there's a reason why they call them the cardiac Colts, yeah. right? Like, they do this stuff all the time. They blow leads. Look at what they did against the Ravens earlier this year. You know, we had a 23 to three lead in the second half and we ended up losing, you know, so it, we're very, nothing is ever safe with these Colts. And I don't know if that's a coaching thing. I don't know if that's a personnel thing, but this didn't totally shock me. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, I'm really, really curious to see what hard knock shows. Yeah. Well, we'll find out tomorrow night when they air that episode, the season finale of hard knock and season, hopefully the Colts collapse here doesn't dissuade other teams from doing this next year. This was a fun season to follow them. Yeah, I mean, talk about storylines, ups and downs. This is a team who beat the Patriots, the Bills, and the Cardinals in the latter half in December and then lost to the Raiders and lost to the Jags to miss the playoffs. Explain to me the NFL. I don't understand how it works. You just beat three of the best teams in the NFL and lost it to, well, one decent team and one horrendous team. So I don't understand. Yeah, two teams, two on in, on interim head coaches as well. That's also strange. Right? Like, <laughs> and missing key components of their team. Yeah. Like, really good players, yeah. you know? And, and we lost to both. And one, we lost at home. <laughs> so, anyway. All right. Ugh. That's the Colts. But now we're going to get to the picks, which is the reason why you're here. The regular season ended, uh, I pal Christopher Russo, the... He uh, hosted the Sports the Waiting Group podcast. He came here last week. He went one and two on the week. His win was the Raiders plus three on Sunday night in that wild game against the Chargers. He got that one right. He took the points with the Jets. He got 16 and a half. They lost by 17, so a bad beat for him. He had the Bengals, too, against the Browns, and obviously we picked, unfortunately, for Joe Mixon, got ruled out for COVID and ruled Burrow out, so he didn't really have a chance there. Oh, yeah, totally. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, I had a better week. I went two and one. I had the Dolphins plus seven over the Patriots. They won outright and then fired Flores, which is extremely dumb in my part on my book, but go whatever. I had the Bucks laying the eight against the Panthers. They ran away with that game. I had the Cardinals laying the six and a half. I lost that one. So two and one to end the regular season for me. Hey, and what was the overall season record for you? Yeah, overall season records. Team Challengers 22 30 and two. So not a good year for them. I went 29 24 and one. I got hot down the stretch. So. Yeah, good for you. You're like the new Schwami. Yeah. I was hovering around 500 of it, so this is probably the best run I've had. I got about four or five two-and-ones in a row to basically close the season out. Well, good for you. Good for you. And and it's a uh, it's not easy. It's really not easy. As you can see, I mean, the Colts were like a 15-and-a-half-point favorite, and they lost by a lot. Yeah. So not easy to pick the NFL. Yeah, once I saw the stat, I'm in a pool also where I had to pick every game every week. Once I saw the stat about... The Colts have not won there since 2014. I took the points with the Jaguars in that game. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, because I figured the, Jag- the Colts will keep this well much more close than I thought they would, and they end up losing. So, yeah. All right, now we're gonna go to the fun here, our Super Wild Card Weekend. We're gonna pick all six games of the weekend, so we're gonna go one at a time here. We're gonna start 
at the top. We're going to go to Saturday afternoon on 4.30 p.m. on NBC. The Red Hot Las Vegas Raiders, where is a four straight, head the, hit the road, take on Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Bengals are favored by six. Who are you taking this game, Dan? You know, I'm actually going to take the Bengals. Um, I just, I've watched, I've watched them for the last few weeks. And I think that they're a team that is, they're, they're not going to lose to a team that doesn't have some sort of like top veteran presence. And I know that like, obviously Las Vegas has had a good couple weeks and they're going to get Darren Waller back. But I also just don't know if that's the team that's going to like win a playoff game. I think that they're a nice story but I think it comes to an end. I think the Bengals just have way too much momentum on offense. I mean, I I have to say, is there a better wide receiver trio in the NFL? I mean, those they have so many weapons. Um, and all of a sudden, I mean, this is a this is a serious team. That, like, I think that they can go toe to toe with Kansas City and any other high high powered offense in the league. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna give up the five and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I have it at six. I'm going to go heads up, but they're going to wait. I'm going to take the points of the Raiders here. I think there's a little magic going on here. I mean, they went four in a row. The Bills was emotional last week. I know the turnaround is tough, you know, going from that emotional Sunday game, flying across the country and playing the early Saturday game. But I think six is too many in this game. I think this is going to be a field goal game either way. I can see the Bengals winning it, but Cincinnati's not shown me enough yet to maybe convince that they're going to be up in this big spot, be able to handle the emotional playoff game and, win by more than a touchdown. So I'm going to take the points of the Raiders here. Okay, I can see that too. I just have this game as I don't see uh, any way that the Bengals don't score at least four touchdowns. And I don't know if the Raiders are going to be able to get, you know, more than two. So that's the only reason why I'm, I'm comfortable spotting a touchdown. All right, next up here, Patriots at the Bills. AFC East grudge match, third time split the season series, Saturday, 815 CBS. Bills laying four and a half points. Dan, who are you taking? Yeah, I got to take the Patriots. I mean, I, I want the Bills to win that game. I really do because I hate the Patriots. But to be getting points to Bill Belichick in the playoffs, you can't tell me that he showed all of his potential looks. It almost doesn't it feel like Bill Belichick to like lose to them in the regular season and then come out and just completely dominate them with some crazy defensive scheme or pressure or something and uh, and just crush Bill's fans' dreams. Like that is the Belichick that like I remember. You know, you know. The Patriots obviously did, kind of stumbled at the end of the regular season and then losing to the Dolphins and whatnot, but I'm still looking at that team. I watched them play the Colts. They've, they're pretty nasty. Like, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with getting more than a field goal points with Bill Belichick coaching on that sideline. Yeah, this is the toughest game of the week for me to pick because, again, the weather is a factor here. If the weather turns nasty, it's a big Patriot edge, but I'm going to trust what I've been seeing the last week. I'm going to lay the points to the Bills. I do not like how New England's played on this stretch. They've lost three out of four. Matt Jones has looked rough in these games here. It's also his first NFL playoff game, something you haven't seen before. Bills have that playoff experience. I think they're going to come out here, and they're going to win this game by a touchdown. I think the Bills will finally get it done. I'm going to lay the points. I'm going to head up again. Oh, I can see it going that way. And honestly, it, I actually hope it goes that way. So, But I just, I, you, you can't pick against Bill Belichick. I'm sorry. I can't do it. All right, next up, Sunday, 1 o'clock on Fox. Eagles at the Buccaneers. Buccaneers, reigning chance, 8.5-point favorites. Dan, who are you going with? 
Yeah, I mean, this is an easy one for me. If I'm wrong, you know, whatever. But I, I the Buccaneers are gonna. I'm happy to take the Bucks, lay the points. Um, it, to be perfectly honest, I, I think I looked and the Eagles only beat one team this year with a winning record, and that was the Saints. So, and they're not in the playoffs. So, if you look at all their nine wins or whatever it was, they beat a bunch of garbage teams, including the Giants and the Redskins twice. So. I'm sorry, like the Buccaneers, this is what they do. I, I would equate the toughness of what they faced with the Panthers, pretty similar to what the Eagles would show. So, and the Buccaneers, you know, no matter what the Antonio Brown situation is or injuries, it's Tom Brady, they're gonna be ready. There's no way Tom Brady doesn't, you know, kind of come out here and lay at least two touchdowns um, against the Eagles uh, in terms of a difference in score. Yeah, I'm with you right there. I'm laying the points, too. And again, the Eagles right now are one-trick pony. They love to run the football. I think they run it more than anybody in the playoffs right now. And Tampa's strength is stopping the runs. That's not a good mat combination there. No, I watched. Tampa was so good against Jonathan Taylor earlier this year. And, you know, the Eagles are going to – Jalen Hurts is going to have to throw into some tight windows, and he's going to be on the run. And I don't know what the weather is supposed to be. I'm assuming it's going to be beautiful down there. But – um, you know, I don't think he's he's training in cold weather and now he's got to come and uh, go into, you know, it's still 85 degrees in Florida every day. So uh, we'll see how he can handle that. And, um, you know, I think that that place will be uh, will be way up for that game. Absolutely. Next up here, 49ers and the Cowboys Sunday, 430 CBS, the Nickelodeon special the Cowboys laying three points at home. Probably the tightest game of the week. Where are you going with here? You know, that's really interesting. I, I had a hard time with this one because everybody clearly watched what Dak did and that, you know, they looked really, really good. And, you know, but isn't it perfectly cowboy to come out here and struggle in a playoff game? Like, you know, the glitz and glam of being at home, Jerry's world, that whole thing. I have been quietly believing in the 49ers the whole year. They still have the personnel and they have a couple of amazing skill position players. Garoppolo has to come out and not be the problem. He cannot turn the ball over. They have to be efficient. They got to give the ball to, you know, quickly out to their wide receivers and use their whole stable of running backs. Um, I think 49ers are, you know, have the, the defensive will to stop what the Cowboys are going to put out and, and show Dak some interesting looks. And I believe a little bit more in Kyle Shanahan at this point in time than Mike McCarthy. So, especially with Mike McCarthy's inability to coach like a professional head coach. Yeah. All right. So you're taking the 49ers, correct? Correct. I'm going to take the, the three points. Yeah, we'll go heads up again. I'm going to take the Cowboys laying the three at home. I think the number, I like it. And I think for me, I, I like this Dallas team. I think their defense is the difference here. I think their defense will be up for this game. I think they're going to give the 49ers problems. I know San Francisco is physical. That's a big worry here. But I like what Dallas is done. I think Dallas has more firepower than that. It's going to be the difference in this game. Yeah, no, and I'm really curious because the 49ers fought tooth and nail through the NFC West to get to the playoffs. I'd be really surprised if they came out flat. So I'm hoping it's a really close game and maybe it is just a field goal. All right, next up here, Sunday night on NBC, the Steelers at the Chiefs. Chiefs biggest line of the week, laying 12 and a half points. Are you going to lay the number? Well, here's where I'm at. And, and to be perfectly honest, uh, my girlfriend's a huge Steelers fan and I just have, and I want the Steelers to do well. It, it just, doesn't it breathe just like Kansas City coming out and, you know, Big Big Ben's going to have a great game and, and 
it's going to be cool to get to watch him play, you know, one last playoff game. But there's just no way Kansas City, they have been so good the last few weeks. And I just, I, I'm a, I'm going to give up the 12 and a half. Is that what you have it at, yep. 12 and a half? Yeah, I'm going to give up the 12 and a half. I think there's it's at least a touchdown and two field goals difference, if not considerably more. I am doing the same thing as you. These teams met three weeks ago. Kansas City won 36 to 10. I don't see what's changed. They recently cut that down significantly. Yeah, and and once again, I just think that the Steelers don't have the ability to play from behind. So, you know, you're telling me the Steelers are going to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes. I mean, good luck is the best way I could put it. So, um, I, I just, you know, if the Steelers get down early, there's no way they can catch them. They're, they are a you know, get Najee Harris the ball in 50 different ways, but they kind of, you know, get three yards here, six yards here, four yards here, and all of a sudden that's just not going to work with the clock going if Patrick Mahomes throws one pass, you know, 60 yards for a score. So I think that they just don't match up to, uh, unless TJ Watt just plays like an absolute beast. Uh, I'm comfortable giving the points. All right, last game of the week, Monday night. First Monday night playoff game ever. The Cardinals at the Rams, 815, ABC, ESPN, Manning cast on ESPN2. Rams laying four. Where are you going with this last game? Yeah, and that's going to be fun. I'm going to watch the Manning cast because it's so strange. It, it, it almost makes it feel like not the playoffs to have it on Monday night. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm comfortable with the Cardinals. I'm going to take the four points. Um, and here's why. I did my research on the Cardinals when they played the Colts a few weeks ago and I kind of realized what they faced from a COVID and from an injury standpoint and I think a big factor is you know DeAndre Hopkins and his you know they're trying to like wean him back from this injury um I just don't believe in the Rams I know that they're gonna come out really really hot but I I have a feeling that you know if you look at what they've done against each other this year obviously the Cardinals taking one and Rams taking the other and um, I think Arizona is going to come out. That'll be the surprise upset of the weekend if, if there is going to be any. Um, I'm comfortable saying that, you know, what their division, it almost, it's going to feel like, you know, still a regular season game because we've seen these teams get to play twice now and, and they're very evenly matched. So I'm just curious who's the, somebody's going to have to make a big play and I think it's going to be Kyler Murray. Yeah, I'm going to go there with you. I'm going to take the points of the Cardinals, my last pick of the week here. I mean, Arizona's a great road team. They're 8-1 and one on the road. They are not successful as home. It's going to help them out here. They won in L.A. earlier this year, and the Rams looked off a little bit last week. I don't know what it was. They struggled against Baltimore a week before that. They're training the wrong direction as the playoffs start here, and I'm getting more than a field goal. So I'm going to take the points with you. I'm going to take the Cardinals. Yeah, there, there's no run game and and right now, and it just doesn't seem to be in sync. Like their throat, their passes are predictable, their runs are predictable. They don't really have anything dynamic in the backfield, so that's putting a lot of pressure on Stafford. And you know, to be perfectly honest, Cooper Cup's going to be double teamed the whole time, so somebody else will have to make a play, and we'll see what happens. But um, I feel more comfortable with the Cardinals and their kind of carefree attitude. It's also, you know, J.J. Watt and a lot of those it's a lot of those veterans that went to the Cardinals specifically to win a playoff game. I feel like they're going to they have had quieter years. I feel like some of those guys are going to show themselves this week. All right. So to reset what happened this week on the games here, Dan's picks. He's going with the Bengals laying the six, the Patriots plus four and a half, the Bucks laying the eight and a half, the 49ers plus three, the Chiefs minus 12 and a half and the Cardinals plus four on Monday. I'm going heads up on the rate with the Raiders plus six. 
Heads up with the Bills, minus four and a half. We're going along on the family play with the Bucks, minus eight and a half. Heads up on the Cowboys, minus three, and then family plays. Chiefs, minus 12 and a half. Cardinals, plus four. And those are your picks for Super Wild Card Weekend. Come next weekend, four of the divisional round. I'm going to be joined by the great John Stanko. Talk about his Patriots-Bills matchup. And if they advance, I'll go who they're playing next. It's certainly going to be a lot of fun going forward here. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people want to follow you on the social media streets. How can they do that? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, on Twitter at DMART207. And, um, you know, once again, I, I'll probably do what I normally do. And I start getting really active on Twitter once um, the season, probably a little bit right after the Super Bowl. I'm more of a draft um, mock draft um and then kind of uh an off-season tweeter so um and i also will be getting excited about baseball coming back too so um but yeah that's the best way to follow me yeah well baseball's still the lockout so hopefully they get this thing figured out soon yeah i know if they you have to assume they're gonna <laughs> yeah i mean i'm assuming i'm operating on some of the spring trains gonna be delayed if they miss games that's gonna be a problem yeah i mean you have to, i mean sponsors and the way that sports business works. I mean, somebody's going to push this over the line. There's too much money online for the players and for the owners and for these teams in general. So and too many people's jobs at risk, like they're going to figure this thing out. Yeah, they will. And are you going to live tweet the hard knocks finale? Um, I feel like I should. Um, I don't know if I'm going to watch it right away. There's a guy that I follow, Kevin Bowen, who uh, is on the morning show, local morning show. And I listen to his podcast every Monday that he puts it out. And I'm going to read his tweets after, you know, while it's going on or right after it's over. And he and I, he was on his podcast and he was talking about what his expectations were for, for hard knocks and whether or not he was, a lot of Colts fans are not going to watch it. Yeah. I tell you, there's a lot, there's a lot of cult fans that think they're just going to pass on. It. It's too hard to relive and, and go through again. Um, imagine just like going from like, we're, we're ready to, to, to win a Super Bowl to we lost to Jacksonville by 20 or whatever it was like, it's, there's a lot of cult fans that won't. And I'm not sure if I'm going to watch it just yet. Yeah. Well, I will watch it. I'll let you know if they give you what you look, what you were looking for in there. Yeah, I might wait and watch it like right before next preseason starts yeah. as motivation here. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. I'm gonna talk about the national championship game between Georgia and Alabama. And I have to say, I did the first half of that game with doing the podcast with Justin's. So I missed the bar of it. Turned out I did not miss much. A lot of defense, a lot of field goals. Second half of this game, things finally got interesting. You got the offense flowing a little bit. I thought for a minute there that once Stetson Bennett fumbled the conversational call that they gave to Alabama, he could have gone either way. Alabama scores touchdown. I said, okay, here we go. The mental blocks that come in here, Georgia's going to lose. Alabama's going to win again, blah, blah, blah. Credit to Georgia. They found a way to win this game. They got the big pick six to seal it. And... As I said before, if there was ever a year for Georgia to win the national championship, it was this one because this is not a vintage Alabama team. This is not a team that is as good as some of the ones we've seen in the past. And good good for them taking advantage of it. I think the question now going forward here is obviously what's going on here with 
the expansion of this playoff field because we know this is something's going to happen in the future. But as everyone announcing that these sides cannot agree the Power Five, like how they want to handle this. Look at the numbers here. I mean, we heard the other day they had a meeting. There's not consensus. They're not going to expand now, which to me seems pretty dumb because the money's there. You know it's coming, and the Pac-12 has already said they want to expand. The SEC has said, hey, we don't care. I don't know why the other three leagues are being so stubborn with this. If it's logistics or it's money, TV contracts, you know it's happening. Getting everybody access to the playoff is a big win long-term, and it will give us more opportunities to get more obstacles here for Alabama or the Georgias of the world to have to actually work harder to get to the title game. I think in the long term, opening up gives us more of a chance to get more teams in, have some more first-time winners because I believe I saw the stat online the other day. We have not had a first-time champion in college football since the 1990s when Steve Spurrier took Florida their first championship. Since then, it's been all the usual like powers, whether it's Clemson, Ohio State, Miami, Alabama, LSU, now Georgia. It's the same old, same old. I just don't get why people care as much. That being said, we'll see what happens going forward, but hats off to Georgia. Great job getting the title there. With that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank our guest, Justin Diaz, for coming on to talk all about the Giant Circus and what's going on there. Joe Dalvezio doing the week 18 wrap-up and getting ready for Super Wildcard Weekend. Dan Martin making the picks for Super Wildcard Weekend. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my explanation of what's going on in Australia, the Novak Djokovic visa situation that's overshadowing the Australian Open, check it all out on the blog, justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. You can find episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rings as well. Help make the podcast even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of all these conversations are up on the YouTube page. Again, that is Mike Phillips on YouTube. Also, do not forget to subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast feed. Just search for the Sky Guys in your favorite podcatcher. We are doing a Chapter 3 recap on the Book of Boba Fett this week. That's going to be the next feed in this podcast. But again, it's going to drop in the Sky Guys feed first. It'll be there the day after we record. It'll be on this feed on the weekend. So if you want the immediate access to the Sky Guys stuff, subscribe to that feed. Get it there. And that's going to do it. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That is M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to do some more stuff about the NFL playoffs. We'll make our picks for the divisional round and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than the Chargers fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.